We are in the second half of the book of Ephesians. We are talking about our practice in Christ. Starts out talking about practicing our unity in the church, but then we have been for a long time talking about practicing holiness in our personal lives. And I hope that as we have started this, that you have really put into practice the things that we're talking about. And you have strived to be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. Keeping in mind that sanctification, there's positional sanctification, that once you're saved, you're set apart, right? But then there's also progressive sanctification where you grow. And so if you're looking at this and saying, man, I still struggle with some of these things, yes, all right? You will until you get to glory, but you should see increasing patterns of righteousness in these areas. And I would encourage you, if you missed any of these lessons, whether it was about anger or, or lying or, you know, working hard, whatever it might be, that you would go back and that you would listen to these. We are now currently in the section where we're talking about, about practical illustrations of putting on the new self. And one of the illustrations is walking as imitators of God. What God wants, what God does, that's who we are. And that's, instead of a theoretical pie-in-the-sky type of thing, that's really practical. That's really practical. We consider Jesus fully man, fully God, and how he walked on this earth, and we say, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. And then we talked about walking as children of light. We are not of the darkness. We don't love sin. We don't want to habitually practice sin. We want our sinful deeds exposed so that we can grow and we want to walk in the light, which is the truth and the righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. Stay in the light, live in the light, learn in the light. Don't sneak off into the darkness to do the evil things that the world does, but instead even expose them. Well, our last section and it is a, a long section, and it's one of those lessons that I might need to come back to the back end of it because we just can't do it justice for the amount of time that we have, is walking as men of wisdom, and obviously men and women of wisdom here, walking as men of wisdom. And that's the title for our lesson. It says in Ephesians 5, verse 15, if you'd follow along with me, therefore... And we know that therefore is connecting it to the previous statements that are going on. Be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So there is a, a lot going on in these verses. And the first command that we get would be to be careful how you walk. Be careful how you walk. Walk here means how you conduct your life. So all of this, we've been talking about 
conducting our life as imitators of God, conducting our life as children of life, conducting our life as men and women of wisdom. And we know that wisdom is both knowing the right thing and doing the right thing. They have to be together. You can know the right thing and not do it, and you are a fool. Or you don't know the right thing, so of course you don't do it. Well, then you are still a fool. But your walk is how you conduct your life. When we talk about being careful, I want us to to realize that we're talking about processing information by giving thought. By directing one's attention to something. All right? So I am careful. I am processing information by giving thought to it and directing our attention to something. So how I conduct my life, I should take time and evaluate it. One of the greatest times that we do that is when you come to church and when you sit here and when you hear the the lesson being taught and then when you go to big church and you hear the lesson being taught. And as you're doing that, you're not just like, man, I wonder what's for lunch today. And hey, I think that guy fell asleep over there. Or you know what? My mom really needs to hear this one. It's I'm considering my life and my walk, in what I'm doing, and am I obeying this or am I not? And if you find yourself not obeying what's being taught, well, you're not in Christ. You need to repent and believe. But Christian, we should dedicate ourselves and it should motivate us to examine our heart, to examine our life, and to commit ourselves to conduct ourselves in wisdom. I want you to go to to Mark 13. Mark 13. Just blown away by all those pages flipping, the the sound, the noise. Jesus says, take heed, keep on the alert. For you do not know when the appointed time will come. It's like a man who went away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Christian, our master is in heaven, and we are waiting for him to return. How will he view our conduct? How will he find us when he returns? We must be on the alert. The world forces of darkness are against us. The wisdom of the world is being thrown at us in all sorts of different ways. We need to make sure that we are careful how we walk. For all three of these commands that we're going to look at today, you first of all see how not to walk. How not to walk. And then obviously the second part of it is How to walk. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men. The word unwise means one who lacks the power of proper discernment. The one who sees and rejects. The one who can't make the right decision. Now there is a difference in knowing the right thing and not doing it. That's bad, right? You know the right thing, but you don't care anyways. You're going to do the wrong thing. And then there is the not even knowing what is right. You can kind of sort of 
sympathize with the person that just didn't know better, right? Even though we all know that God has ingrained his truth on our heart, that everyone is accountable to God. The, the stars and the skies and the creation is enough to reveal to us that there is a God and he has written his law on our heart and we take that law and we suppress it and we sear our heart so that we can do whatever we want. So no one is left with an excuse. We are all accountable to God. But there's a difference in those that know it. It's just right in front of their face. And they go, And that's what we're looking at here. That is the unwise person. They lack the power of proper discernment. It's not that they lack the proper knowledge. They lack the proper knowledge. You think of Rehoboam. Rehoboam is the son of, was the son of who? Solomon, who we call the wisest man that ever lived, except for Jesus. That was his dad. And you ever written that, read that little book called the book of Proverbs? And a lot of Proverbs was written to who? From, by Solomon, to his sons. And he addresses it several times. Hear, my sons. Listen, my sons. And so if anybody should have taken it and gone, ah, yeah, I get it, let's go, it should have been Rehoboam. But when Solomon dies, Rehoboam ascends the throne, and the people came to Rehoboam and said, hey, look, your dad was really tough on us. Would you lighten up? And Rehoboam turns to his, the wise counselors, the elders, and they said, you should do this. This is a good thing. It would show grace to them. All right, you already have much. We're, things are going well. Do this. But then his buddies came along, and they whispered, are, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Dude, they're going to see you as weak. They're going to see you as weak. So you need to go back to them, and you need to say, hey, my dad was tough on you, but I'm even tougher. And Rehoboam goes, oh, man, yeah, I like the sound of that. That sounds good to me. He had his ears tickled, right? That's what he wanted to do. So then he goes to the people and he says, tough luck. I'm going to be even tougher on you than my dad was. What a fool. And so what happened to the nation of Israel? It split into two. The northern tribes followed another and refused to follow Rehoboam. God's chosen people, God's kingdom. Probably the greatest illustration of this is Satan. I mean, doesn't this guy know he's losing? He was an angel who lived in perfection with God. Sin originated in his heart when he became prideful and said, I want what God has. I want to be God. I want people to worship me. And that's where sin began. That's where evil began. And this whole time, it's staring him in the face that God is in charge, that God is sovereign, that God's always going to win. Um, imagine every prophecy that comes true and Satan's like, ah, man, it happened again. How come what God wants keeps happening? I mean, he's the ultimate fool, the ultimate fool. Those who know God's word and refuse to obey it are un wise. So don't walk like them. Don't think like them. Don't talk like them. But instead, be wise. Now, the Greek word for unwise and wise, it's the same word, but you have the awe in front of the unwise, which means without. So they are without wisdom. Don't be like the one without wisdom, but instead be the one with wisdom. This wisdom is understanding that results in wise attitudes 
and conduct. It's not the, you know, you hear about the book smart person. They're book smart, but there's nothing that's actually like being done with that book smartness. This is knowing and having the right attitude, the right demeanor, but then also the right conduct. You can have the right conduct, but if you don't have the right attitude, then that's not pleasing to God. My attitude is to give glory to God. It's to love God. It's to further his kingdom. That's why I do what I do in appreciation for the price that Jesus paid for me. And so therefore, I walk in righteousness because of what God has done for me. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So realize this. Anyone that is not paid proper reverence and respect to God Almighty is a fool. That'll take you places in life. Every, I don't care how, how high their IQ is, how many PhDs they have. If they do not have a proper fear, a proper reverence of Yahweh, they are a fool. Now, they could be an expert pancake maker, and you could learn how to make pancakes or something like that. But when it comes to life itself, they are a fool. But unfortunately, how often do we elevate the unwise? We emulate the unwise. We put them on a pedestal, and we, we put their poster on our wall, and that's who we want to dress like, and that's who we want to talk like, and that's who we want to be like. Do not Walk as unwise, but as wise. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The wisdom that's written on their heart, the wisdom that's communicated through his word, the fool despises it. The fool despises instruction. Unfortunately, today, a lot of youth groups, they do nothing with wisdom and they give no instruction. It's just babysitting. And it's sad, right? And it's insulting because you're here to learn. You're here to grow. And how are you going to do that? Well, by the Word of God. So that's what we want to teach you. 2 Timothy 3.15. Paul says to Timothy that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. You've known the Word of God. You've known the Scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. So it's not a mystery here. It's not a, a feeling. It is, what does the Bible say? The unwise refuses to understand it and refuses to obey it, but the wise dedicates their life to the Word of God. And you say, amen, I agree with you. Well, how are you treating your mom and dad? Are you reading the Word of God? What are you watching when no one's a, a, around? What are your life pursuits and attitudes towards other people? Are you sharing the gospel as you have been commanded? It's not just knowing it. It's doing it. What does a wise person do? Making the most of your time. And some of you are like dagger to the heart right there, baby. Does this describe you? Your time on earth is limited. We are not to view this time as, man, I can't wait till it gets over. That's wrong. I can't wait to be in heaven because then I won't struggle with sin anymore. I can't wait to get to heaven, so I want this life to end. That's not the right attitude. But we do look at this saying, man, I am yearning for glory, yearning for it. 
But you have me here, Lord, for a time, for a purpose, for a reason. Rewind to yesterday. Did you make the most of your time yesterday? I'm too busy to read. I'm too busy to pray. Oh, I couldn't share the gospel because I had this going on. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have fun. I'm not saying that you can't do things that are fun, all right? I, I like a good video game, all right? I, I like sports and stuff like that, but these things are not who I am. I am a follower of Christ in everything that I do. How I love Jesus permeates in and through those things. And it's not saying that you can't ever have fun or do something that you like, no. But as you're having fun and doing the things that you like, do them for the glory of God. Do it with a purpose, but prioritize your time, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. The days are evil. How do those two go together? All right? Right now, we have freedoms in the United States of America. This whole idea of being able to teach the Bible in the classroom, that's pretty cool, right? And it might be some of you are thinking, man, career path, I could be a teacher and it could be that I get to do that in the public school. You know what I mean? So we're talking about making the most. Of that. Oh, that's kind of intriguing right there. I get that. Lots of these students that don't know Jesus and they go to crummy churches or they go to no church. And man, I can, that sounds, woo. But there will be a time that this won't happen. There will be. There is going to be a time, most likely, when Christianity is illegal. Our Congress, the, the forces that are here, the, power, the prince of the power of the air, and all of these things are trying to make sin normal. And it's trying to make the Christian viewpoint illegal or trying to outcast and trying to cancel the Christian viewpoint. It is going to get tougher. So right now, we have a platform. Let's go. Let's do it. But when it gets tougher, that doesn't mean that we stop. We, we keep going. But also... You don't want idle hands because idle hands leads to sinfulness. So I'll have a parent that says, you know, my, my child struggles with depression. Okay. Well, what are they doing? What do you mean, what are they doing? I mean, what do they do in the day? Well, they don't really do a whole lot. Well, I would be depressed too. So find them something. Find them a job. Give them more homework. All right, find some friends. Go enjoy life. Oh, I'm so shocked that your daughter is depressed when she spends four hours a day in her room looking at Instagram. <sighs> you mean looking at these phony fake people really hurts? The we need to be engaged and we need to be doing. God made us to work. God made us to enjoy people. God made us to interact. And Christian, you're here for this short amount of time. And we should be putting forth maximum human effort. I mean, even the idea of the Bible quiz coming up, some of you are like, mm -mm, no, wait, not me. Kidding? You don't want to memorize God's word? You, no? You don't want to know what the books of the Bible are about? It's not hard to fill your day with God-honoring things. But I'm not saying that you need to be a monk locked away in your room memorizing the entire Bible all day. What you do, you do for the glory of God. It could be that you go hang out with a friend and you're like, oh, this intrigues me. But you do it with the purpose that you're going to be an encouragement to them and a blessing. 
we think I need a friend to hang out with because I'm lonely. So I need them to, woo. No, what if they need me? Or what if we need each other? And do you ever talk about what you're reading? Do you ever quiz each other? Something along those lines? Our society is decaying and declining, but I do want you to understand that Ephesus was dirtier than dirt. I mean, you could just walk down the street, you could hire a prostitute, and you could call it an act of worshiping God in Ephesus. Talk about gross. But I know you got junk on your phone, and I know you got junk here, and I know there's trash everywhere. It's not getting any easier, folks. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. Secondly, all right, we need to be careful how we walk. We need to be considerate in how you walk. Be considerate. And what do I, what do I mean by that, okay? Going back to Ephesians 5, verse 17. It says, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. When we say considerate, it means showing regard for another's feelings. But I really am only talking about God's. You need to be showing regard for the will of God. What does God want? What does God teach? You need to be considerate in how you walk. How would I know what that is? <gasps> Shocker. I go to the Bible. And I read the Bible. And as we witness, it's incredibly important that when you read the Bible, you use the proper hermeneutics. You read it in context. You use the uh, literal historical grammatical approach where you're not sitting around saying, what does this mean to you and how does that make you feel? You're saying, what did Paul mean when he wrote it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? When Moses wrote this, what did Moses mean and how did he intend his audience to receive it? Be considerate in how you walk. We see, first of all, how not to walk. So then do not be foolish. This would be the inconsiderate, the one who, who gives no regard to the things of God and just does what he wants, how he wants it. So then do not be foolish. This foolishness here is pertaining to a lack of judge, a judgment or prudence. And you can see there's some overlap with the unwise and the foolish. A lack of judgment or prudence. And how would I, how would I illustrate this? There's a there's a rumor going around that there used to be some sort of a, a viral challenge where people would actually eat laundry detergent. Uh, is, that, is that true? Is that a, a pod challenge or something like that? Look, I'm, that's, that's just stupid. It doesn't taste good. It doesn't give you any health value. I mean, I can understand eating broccoli because it like, gives you health value, and it doesn't taste good. I can understand eating a candy bar because, man, that tastes good. But not only that, it will kill you or destroy you. But some moron posts some video about it, and you're watching these stupid videos, and I'm not saying you can't watch any videos, all right? Cat videos are funny. And then it's like, whoa, that's so cool. Yeah, and you wonder why old people think you're dumb. Newsflash, the old people, when they were your age, they did stupid stuff too. They used to think like smoking was healthy for you and stuff like that, okay? But it's every old person's job to look back and be like, these kids today, 
My, when I was their age, I walked, I walked to school barefoot in the snow, uphill both ways. And they kind of romanticize their childhood. But are you kidding? We didn't even wear seatbelts back in the day. How smart was that? Where's your wisdom on that one, Pops? But there are things that the world's throwing at you, and the difference is now you have these secret forums and, and, and videos, and there's this, I'm going to post this, and it's going to go viral, and it's going to get liked, and I'm going to see this, and we should do this, and you know, I'm going to make this little jump, even though I'm probably going to break my arm, but you know, some people are going to watch this. And that's how I get my approval now. So there, it, it's the same dumb stuff that's always been going on, but it's just packaged in a different way. Packaged in a different way. Now, there was uh, apparently a phenomenon, all right? There was a, a big movie that came out, and they had to alter a part of the movie, apparently. Because in the movie, these college athletes went out on the highway, and they laid at night on the dashed lines of the highway. And it was like a big thrill. And it was like, whoa, we're top, whoa. And it was something they did. Yeah, you know why they had to take that out of the movie? Because high schoolers and college students went and laid out on the highway and they got ran over. Look, and we look at that and we say, Maybe Darwin was right. Maybe natural selection is true. But man, are you, are, are you habitually watching pornography? Are you refusing to listen to mom and dad? Look, that stuff is just as dumb. It, it's, it's just as dumb. Christian, this isn't us. It isn't us. Yeah, we have bad days. Yes, we get selfish. Yes, we stumble. Christians, we go back to the cross. We ask for repentance and we resolve to, to make changes and do things better. This isn't us. But how, how do I walk? But understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And this should say understand. When it comes to understand, it means to have an intelligent grasp of something that challenges one's thinking or practice. To comprehend. I mean, is life complicated? I'm, what am I, what am I going to do today? I'm so bored. How about you glorify God and enjoy Him forever? Wow, that's a novel idea. You are created for that purpose. And if you don't do it, then there's no true satisfaction. God has created you to do that. And if you don't, then you're not going to be completely satisfied. But you need to comprehend what the will of God is. It's like when we were talking about immorality and we went to 1 Thessalonians 4. And it says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's the will of God. The will of God is that you love others. The will of God is that you speak truth. The will of God is that you read his word and you meditate and that you pray to him. That's what the will of the Lord is. And we need to show regard for his will and to follow it. I want you to 
flip over to Luke. There's two different illustrations in Luke. We'll start with a, a negative illustration first of all. And we're again, we're talking about the idea of understanding or comprehending. Luke 18, 31, it says, Then Jesus took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. Is there any mystery to this? They already know that he is the Son of Man. The whole book of Luke, the theme is Jesus as the Son of Man. But the disciples understood none of these things. Huh? And the meaning of this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. Now there's an aspect of this where God was waiting to fully unveil some of these truths and the comprehension that was there. But don't be like the disciples. I mean, it's right there. If you do not repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be cast into the lake of fire. It's foolish. It is unwise to think anything else is going to happen. You need to consider what the will of God is. It is to turn from your sin, to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and to follow him daily, taking up your cross. Flip over to Luke 24, and this is the positive. This is down the road. This is the after the fact. Luke 24, 44. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he, what? Opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead in the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The same truth was communicated but the second time they comprehended, the second time they understood, well, what's the difference? Jesus did what? He made them understand. He enlightened them. And there's a key part. In Luke 18, even if they're trusting in Jesus, they have not received who? They have not received the Holy Spirit. So they need God the Son to enlighten and to illuminate them. But after the resurrection, at the day of Pentecost, the promised spirit, the third person of the Trinity, came and indwelled all believers. And it is the Holy Spirit that illuminates the word of God to us. They needed Jesus to illuminate, to enlighten them. You, Christian, have the Holy Spirit so when you read, you can understand, which is super important as we get to verse 13. Sorry, verse 18, actually. Go back to Ephesians. I forgot to change that. That should say 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And if you're wondering, I always wondered how the whole don't get drunk thing fit in with the rest of this book. 
but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Paul wants you, God wants you to be controlled by the Spirit in your walk. These things that we're talking about, putting off sin, putting on righteousness, walking in wisdom, they're difficult for us. There's a part of us that still yearns to do sinful things. But we need to maximize the Holy Spirit's um, impact in our life. We can't do that if we are drunk with wine. We can't do that if we're drunk with wine. Well, why is that? If we're drunk with wine, that is dissipation. What does dissipation mean? It means reckless abandon. It means debauchery. And let's put all of this together because this is one of the the most confusing passages for high schoolers and college students and things like that. It is not a sin to drink alcohol. Because people are like, what about Jesus? He drank wine. Well, first of all, their wine was more watered down than what our wine would be, okay? But it was also more of a societal norm. There's the, the water wasn't as healthy. All of that stuff, gotcha. But it's still not a sin to drink wine. It's not a sin to drink alcohol. The sin is when you do one of two things. You drink it when you're forbidden. So you are underage, I believe there's some wiggle room on parental consent and things like that. If you're in your home and your parents, you know, that type of deal. All right. But you can't go to the liquor store and buy a beer and drink it. You can't be out in public drinking a beer. All right. That is our society has said that's illegal. You cannot do that. And so, boom, there you go. That's pretty black and white. Takes away a lot of that gray area. The other thing is if you drink it into excess because it impairs And it limits the impact of the Holy Spirit. And it makes you do dumb things. Now, when it comes to different sins, all right, there are some sins that we walk through and I'm like, man, that's a tough one for me. I I really struggle with that. I need to work harder. Then there's, and and you might be like that, okay? But then there's other sins that you're like, doesn't bother me. Look, this is, I hate alcohol. I hate it. All right, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it tastes gross. And if anyone tells you different, they're lying. All right, but just keep in mind that my taste buds are a little different than others. Okay, if I had a choice between a steak or a bowl of mac and cheese, I'm choosing the mac and cheese. All right, maybe it's a little bit, you know, that, that's just me. But all of it is gross. I've, I've tried it from time to time, and it is just gross. All right, especially like beer. They're like, oh, yeah. When you start drinking it, it doesn't taste very good, but eventually you get used to it. And I'm like, so I got to get used to it, and it costs money, and it makes me act stupid, and it makes me fat. I'm weighing things out, people. I am not getting it. Now, the elders have even had this discussion, like, can they drink wine or something like that? The, the prohibition is not that if you're an adult, you can drink alcohol, 
All right, you, you can, but you can't do it to excess. And sometimes people have a little bit, oh, just one more, or it's a social setting, and hand me one there, and oh, here we go, and oh, I'll get this one, and man, I had a little bit too much, and those types of things. I just run so far from that. And part of it is, I have seen the destruction of drunkenness. I have seen it. I have seen my, my grandpa, who I barely know, make a fool of himself. Because he could not put the bottle down. And it is, it is, it's shameful. But you know, there are certain particular sins that we struggle with a little bit more. Because some people like a little bit of alcohol because it kind of takes the edge off. And it makes them a little bit looser and, and more social and stuff like that. Some just like to do it from a social setting. So I don't want us to get the stigma of, oh, you drink alcohol, you're bad. That's not true. Okay, it's not true. Because there are good examples of Christians, mature Christians, that drink it properly and do it in the right way. It, it really, really is. But for me, I have seen the negative effects, so I, I, I try to get as far away from it as I can. How do I illustrate reckless abandon? So my brother's friend gets drunk, and he tells us this story about how he got lost. And he woke up in hell. And he saw heaven shining down. But there was a demon. And he had to fight the demon off. And he had to climb towards heaven. But then he got knocked out. He got drunk. He got locked in someone's attic. And there was one of those winny, those little spinny things in the roof. And the sun was shining down through it. And he thought that was heaven. And the demon was a Christmas tree. Wow. Wow. It's, and to us, there's some funny things to it, but what a fool. What a, he's normally a really nice, really sweet guy. And we're talking about this probably 30 years ago. But just because when he, he wanted to have some fun and I mean, he could have he easily died. I mean, there's long lists of stories that people that got drunk and they died because of things. I mean, if, I went on Twitter today, and the South Lake uh, Police Department has a great Twitter thing. And they throw, there was a car, I don't know if any of you saw this, in a tree, in a yard. Someone was drinking, driving, and they ran over a tree and like knocked it down and kept going. There is a, a celebration of sin when it comes to drunkenness. Oh, tough, and I can hold my liquor in. Woo, let's go. But you think of all of the wild, gross, reckless things that goes along with that. And you can't think straight. I had a friend of mine, I'm not saying you should do this, but they would often go down to Fort Worth, the stockyards and Billy Bob's. And this is not the right thing to do. But he would walk up to people he had no idea. And he was like, hey, it's, it's good to see you again. And they're like, oh. And he's like, hey, uh, you know, I lost, can I borrow $20? Do you have $20? And these complete strangers would give him money. Now, you're both wrong. You're stealing. You're drunk. But they had no way to, well, yeah, man. 
And, and that's just what it is. But what does our world do? Dude, it's awesome to get drunk. Can't wait to go to college and get drunk. Come to this party over here, and we're all going to stand out in the field and get drunk. And then all of the country songs, it makes it sound like the little podunk place where they go out to a field and get drunk is like amazing. Or alcohol is how they drown their sorrows. They can't cope with their situation, so their coping mechanism is to numb themselves. We should not walk that way. Anything, not just drunkenness, right? Anything that impedes our ability to maximize the impact and the influence of the Holy Spirit, we should not do that. There are a lot of different sins that Paul could have listed here. You, you think of even immorality. And immorality warps the mind. And it, and it makes you lust and crave and lie and sneak and take. We're not thinking right. It, it's the same thing, but we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, what does it mean? First of all, what does it not mean? It doesn't mean to be baptized into the Holy Spirit. You are baptized into the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. But some will say this filling of the Spirit is like an additional act that you need to go through. And when that happens, then you can speak in tongues and heal and do all sorts of stuff. They, they call it like an anointing with the Holy Spirit type of thing. When you repent and believe in Jesus, at that moment, you are baptized, into, uh, baptized by the Holy Spirit into the kingdom of God. You have received the Holy Spirit. There is not a second anointing that goes with this. What it does mean is to allow the Holy Spirit to have a maximum impact in your life. So think of it like these glasses, all right? Think of it like these glasses. If I'm over here, all right, there is a little bit of water. I need more of that water. When you go far the way to the right, this one is about to spill over, all right? This one would be comparable to I'm thinking my way, I'm doing my thing, I'm not fo focused on the Lord. So the impact and the influence of the Holy Spirit is minimal. Same Holy Spirit, it's not that he's like ineffective. I'm not allowing him. But the more I feed my soul with the word, and with singing, and with meditation on the scripture, and with fellowship, I am filling myself. I am allowing the Holy Spirit. The more that I put off that sin. So you think of that gross show you're not supposed to watch. When you watch that show, you're thinking of all of that gross stuff. The yucky is filling up. You're not thinking of the glory of God. But if I turn that off, and then I put on some Christian music that's praising the Lord, then it's starting to reorient my mind. And I am to allow, I am to practice those essentials we talk about with the focus of being controlled by the Spirit. So if I am filling my body with alcohol, it is impairing how I think and what I do and how I act. And there are people that act one way sober and completely different when they are drunk. I want to be filled with the Spirit, not filled with sin, not filled with lust, not filled with drunkenness, not filled with selfishness, because then there is a, an incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I will enjoy this life more. I will enjoy this life more, and I will maximize my efforts here on this earth more. 
And Paul lists three outpourings. And unfortunately, this is the part that we don't have time to unravel all of this. But if I put off sin and I put on righteousness, the Holy Spirit will fill me to the top. And what pours out, what pours out, verse 19, speaking to another, one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Now, it's not saying that you need to call your friend up and say, hello, how are you today? Isn't Jesus great? That's not what it's saying, okay? We're here. And when the words are up there, which actually come from the Bible, which is a helpful thing, and we're singing them, you're doing it with each other, side by side, worshiping the Lord. But some of you are, mumble, 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 mumble. Can't wait for this part to be over. Oh, hey, look, what's going on over there? I'm going to go to the bathroom for the third time today. Can't go down to the lesson or Justin will be mad at me. I couldn't use the restroom before this all started. Uh, so you know that this is, this is a, it's a biblical command for you to verbally worship him. But it's also an expression all right? Every Disney princess, when she falls in love, what she start doing? She starts singing about it. All right? She's singing about it, and she's happy, and she's dancing around. The woodland creatures come out and dance on her shoulders, too. If you love Jesus, you sing about it. You sing about it. Praising the Lord, and, and there's different aspects of this, and we don't have to get too much into the psalms versus the hymns and the spiritual songs, but you get the idea, right? Are you singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord? Some of you look like your puppy died when we are singing praises to God. Or you look like the most disinterested person ever. That's not the right attitude. I actually, I'm... I know people that have come to know the Lord... And one of the examples that brought them was the heartfelt worship of those that were around them. Saying, I don't have that, but that guy does. Why? Why? Goes on to say, the next outpouring is, is thankfulness. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Don't be that complainer. Don't be that hypercritical that can only see the negative part of things. You're filled with the Spirit, and thanksgiving pours out. God loves me. I love God. He's got a great plan. He, he's working all things out. I have his word. I'm with his people. I'm going to be in heaven with him. Thankfulness. And do we not need some more thankfulness? But selflessness, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The next section that we're getting to are some very complicated concepts for the world. Wives, husbands, children, workers, bosses, slaves, masters, all of those things all start here with this be subject to one another. And what does it mean? It means a selflessness to each other. If I'm filled with the Spirit and I'm thinking like Jesus and you're thinking like Jesus, I'm going to lay aside my wants and wishes for yours. And I need to close, and I don't have time to go through some of the wrap-up on this, because I've thrown a lot out at you. 
are you, are you conducting your life? Are you careful in your walk? Are you considerate of the will of God in what you do and how you do? Are you controlled by the Holy Spirit? The Christian is, and we need to strive to excel still more. But the unbeliever, you're not careful how you walk. You are reckless. You're not considerate of the Lord. You are only considerate of yourself. And you are not controlled by the Spirit. You are controlled by sin. The believer, God will elevate you to his kingdom and you will live with him forever. The unbeliever, he will cast you into the lake of fire. I beg of you, do not listen to this world. Do not get on those online forums and those, those weird group chats and, and, and watch the things of this world. Do not follow this world. Run to the Bible, believe the Bible, trust the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good and awesome. We thank you that your son Jesus has paid the price for our sin. He's paid it all. And for those of us that are believers, you have washed us with the blood of the lamb and you have called us to walk in a manner that is worthy of you. Thank you so much. You are a good and gracious father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.